we're very proud of that work that we've done. So, and that the work our Filipino families as a whole, again, is a reflection of my dad always felt like, and as you can see, my parents are really big influencers in everything that I do on a daily basis. I'm Cliff Shaw. And I'm Derek Kem. This is Fascinating People. On this episode of Fascinating People, we speak with Clarice Casamina. She has a Bachelor's of Arts in Marketing from George Washington University and is currently a loan officer and director of sales and marketing at House of Finance in Hawaii. She's one of the top producers of residential loans in the state and has propelled House of Finance to become Oahu's number one producer of USDA loans. What is, the US, what is a USDA loan, you might ask? Well, the USDA loan program was designed to help provide opportunities for people who normally cannot receive a traditional mortgage. House of Finance is a thriving family business in Hawaii, and Clarice is proud to carry on her father's legacy to be of service to their community. Oh, and by the way, she's a mother of a beautiful daughter. In our chat with Clarice, we opened some wine bottles and had an open and honest discussion of how she helps families become homeowners through her practice, how her family's humble beginnings have shaped who she is today, and the importance of giving back to her community. We also go deep into important topics like finances, family, philosophy, and philanthropy. Well, we have Clarice Casamina. My goodness, Cliff, straight to the deep end here. I love it. So Clarice, I guess one of the most curious things I, I think about with you is how the heck are you so successful? Wow, that is a loaded question. And I would argue that that implies that I see myself as successful first and foremost. Oh, no. So Straight into it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you don't? This probably the answer to this, in all fairness, is that I I think I was always raised in like by a very, very, very powerful Asian woman and by a very, very, very powerful Asian father that gave me no limitations. But their perspective was if they ever set a goal for me that I wouldn't ever exceed to the top of my ability. So for them, it was the feedback was always like your best is never your best because that means that you haven't tried harder. So for me, I, I'll never... One of the lessons my father's always bestowed upon me is that you always have to be learning. So to say that I'm successful would actually go against everything he's ever taught me, right? Like he wants me to always be striving for the next thing, the next. And part of that for me is like part of the journey. And so I, I don't think I'll ever actually say out loud that I'm, I consider myself successful because I think there's a lot more that I can always do. So I don't know that I will ever answer that question and say like, well, this is the reason I'm currently where I'm at right now. And I consider myself successful. And I think to the root of that is then that I appreciate a lot of what I've accomplished, but I think that there's a lot more that I can accomplish. So what have you accomplished then? Like, because I think one of the most self crippling, if that's the word, Things that people do is kind of like hide under that shadow of Asian humility. Mm, fair. Not to send it there, but yeah, sure. That's how it ended up here. Sure. I was born into a very, in my opinion, I was born into a house with two powerhouse individuals, right? Like we're talking about two people who were born in dirt poor circumstances that really drove to make their lives individually better. And when they met each other became a catalyst for 
what I consider true success in life. And being their daughter has really forced me to figure out how to even replicate some of that special energy. And I think that I'm proud of a lot of the things that I've accomplished. And I can say that there's definitely a qualitative feeling like there's good that I've done for a lot of families or individuals, but I still feel like it's the tip of the iceberg of what we can do for families. And so I think to answer your question, if you were to consider what I've done in life as potentially successful, I would argue that it, I would not argue, I would say that the root of that really came from being driven in a family that really, I was really raised to give back. I was really, I was always raised as the oldest of three sisters Mm. and I have an older half brother, but as the oldest of the three girls, like I was always raised as the one who always has to look after the two. And I think that's always translated somehow into my life of needing to take care of those that are either younger than you or need the assistance that you can provide. That's always been instilled in me from a very young age. And whether, and it's always been the responsibility that I've actually enjoyed taking on. And I think that's a very special sauce, in my opinion, of how you can help someone. It's not to me the quantifiable aspect. It's the ability to walk away from a situation and get that feeling that you may have made an impact on those people's lives. Mm. And I think that's what I strive for on a daily basis. And that's something that my dad and my mom taught me very early on is that qualitative feeling of helping or, or bettering someone's life. Whatever way the universe works, the numbers figure it out after that. That's something my dad always taught me. He always said, focus Mm -hmm. on the families that you work with. Don't think about the dollar amounts, because if you give them that feeling, the money part always figures itself out. And now he's like donating hundreds of thousands for buildings. School buildings, but yes. So do you feel like education is like a big thing for you too? Like (sighs) that you stand behind in society? Because it seems like your dad, you know, like kind of puts that at the forefront for him. And as I get older, I feel like it does start with the kids too. A hundred and ten percent. So, I mean, I have mixed feelings about like the concept of higher education. We can try to get political about it, but like, I think the sheer cost cost is crippling from working with families every day. Right. Like I have a, I have mixed feelings about it, but I think ultimately to me, empowerment of the grit that each individual student has they're varying levels. They're going to be very, very different from like, think about all the kids that you see on a playground. Right. And I think it's to me, my parents really implemented education and obviously an Asian family was always very, very important. Mm. But my, the big thing that my parents actually taught me was the application of the education. They actually didn't care that I wasn't super book smart. Like, I think I graduated with a 3.5, maybe a 3.5. Oh my God, that's terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like bottom ten of my it, class. Like, Cliff it, knows. It, it like I got straight A's once, and like the B minus I got was like PE, and my dad was like, "Well, you're not going to be an athlete, so I'll, I'll let that live." If I'm being really honest with you guys, that's actually where I learned sales. Like I learned sales really early on because I had to know that like I'm not the top, top, top book smart person, but I'm also still an I'm a pretty smart individual. And I learned that like, I also couldn't sit long enough to like really be that book smart level. So I really learned how to like fill in the blanks between like, here are two facts and here are kind of some of the blanks you can fill in and pitch a concept, pitch a story. And that's really where I believe my sales came in. Cause I was constantly going back to my dad and being like, 
listen, the average was this and I still performed above average, but my grade was still a B. <laughs> and uh-huh. that, that was really like, <laughs> like they, my dad tells the story all the time. He's like, Clarice's first words to you will tell you where the average was so that she can just demonstrate where. And I'm like, dad, it's called the point of relativity. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Spin it however which way you want. But that's how I was raised. Like I was constantly, it always forced me to explain my rationale. And in my opinion, that's like what's made me a good salesperson is because I've had to explain how I think at all times or why I do what I do or why I won't lend against something or why I will. I think that's very private school Hawaii. Hmm. Don't you think, Cliff? I don't think public schools are taught Mm. Like there, it's not easily as readily available unless you're in like a debate class. Fair. Yeah. You know, well, I'll ask you too, like this at Ulani, did they grade you guys with a curve? It's not about me, but I was on the bottom. <laughs> well, was there That's a curve? True. Was there a curve? Like curve? I don't remember if there was a curve or not. Okay. I so I, I don't tell think this, there was a curve. I tell the story pretty often. Like we got graded all on curves. So it didn't matter if you got a 99 out of a hundred, if everybody else got a 99 out of a hundred, you're then yeah, not, yeah, the at a, you're not, yes. Yeah, yes. The so yeah. early, early on for all of us, mm-hmm. it was in order for you to be successful, you have mm-hmm. to figure out how to work with the person next to you, but you have to still beat the person next to you. Mm. Very punahou. Yeah. Sorry. Interesting. I'm just kidding. Punahou students. <laughs> <laughs> We're going there. Which, which <laughs> I guess which leads to, don't you think that it's not even, whenever people make that accusation, Cliff, like it's so Iolani or it's so Punahou, uh-huh. it's not even accurate now. Because the yeah. schools are so opposite of the point of reference that the person is alluding to. It, like, it's changed so much, uh, both yeah. environments. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, we should go into a different day, but backing up a little bit, what the heck makes you successful as second gen because most people mess it up and i can tell you from sitting around and we're heavily involved as a lot of family businesses in hawaii yeah. and it's it's a, a lot of balls you could drop yes so like statistically anything past the third gen is like 10 percent likelihood or it's 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 the statistical likelihood of a family company going beyond the second gen is Really heartbreaking, in my opinion, just because of how many family businesses there are in Hawaii. But as a family, we've really made it a point to work as a unit. So my grandfather used to say, like, I would offer to pay for like McDonald's or something. And he used to say, Chris, we're in Kalihi. If it rains in one corner of Kalihi, it's raining in the other. And what he meant by that is like, your what my money is is your money and he doesn't mean it from like a strictly dollar sense but we were really raised in myself my sisters my brother and our family we were really raised in an environment that we as a collective unit share the goals as a family like we're a full family unit so for us it's been a lot of conversation about you know we sit around and we're like, I'm one of four. So me and my sisters and my brother, we talk about like, well, I would, I don't really care if you want that position. Sure. Take that position. If you want that role. And we've had to be told, like, it's not just about you guys. Like, what about the grandchildren and the great grandchildren? What do you envision about the values? And that V word is like the big thing, right? What values do you want translated? Because 
the great-grandchildren aren't going to be as closely connected to the root of how we got here, right? Like, and that's to me is something that is so important to myself, my brother, my sisters, that we really want to communicate how our dad, our mom, our grandfather, grandmother, how they saw Hawaii as an opportunity, what my dad made of his opportunity of coming to Hawaii, coming to America, and basically, like, don't mess it up. Like, don't like mm. mess well, it we up. We just went right there. But, but it's true. <laughs> to the deep end. But it's true. It's true. I will tell <laughs> you guys. I will share this. Okay, I was born into a very power. Like, I have a very powerful mother. I have a very influential father. But they built themselves from the ground up. My dad arrived from a province in the Philippines. So he was born and raised in the province in the Philippines in Ilocosur. No running water, no electricity, no plumbing. He would tell stories about how they would wake up at 5 a.m. and he would have to ride the carabao out. And his carabao was like his best friend, right? And they would work the fields until like three or four in the afternoon. And they would work straight using their hands, and, you know, they were like 10, 11, right? Like in America, that might be considered like child labor, but that's part of the culture. You didn't like, yeah, you went to school, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything mind blowing. They maybe taught you how to write your name. And so when he, and I was sharing briefly with Cliff is my grandfather was, and his brothers were part of the cicadas. So the cicadas in Hawaii are the original Filipinos who worked on the plantations. And so they were, you know, recruited, shipped, whatever you want to call it, to Hawaii to work on the plantations. And it was very lucrative to work on the plantations versus what working on the plantations in the Philippines as far as money was concerned. So my grandfather actually, he worked, he came to Hawaii and he actually worked for two years without seeing my grandmother or my father or his three siblings. And he saved every penny working like three jobs and working nonstop to bring them over from the Philippines. What is his name? Santos Casamina. So he is truly like, when we think of like our root, our trunk, like he was our trunk, he was our root. And obviously my grandmother, right? Flora, she's who's you met on the golf course that my dad all likes of 92 to, that all was 90. santos's wife yes. that i just met last yeah. week so he likes to put her in the <laughs> golf like he likes to put her in his little golf cart and he likes to drive her around but nice she is like the queen like she was our she is to this day our like powerhouse filipino woman who controls everybody but she sacrificed two years of not being with her husband, not having any help, running the farm by herself, right? Feeding her kids by herself so that they could come to America. Mm. Cause that was like, truly my dad still believes right in the American dream. Like that was there. Like when they were growing up, that was their it's still thing. there. Yeah. That's I there. firmly believe the American dream is still there. there. How do I know? Cause I didn't adopt a legacy. Right. Mm. You know, and it's a lot of time what you're saying. So yeah. you have Santos, you and have Flora. Yes. And yes. then you have your dad. Yes. And his three siblings. And then where are they? So they're all three of them are in Hawaii. So my grandfather had a really successful career with the stevedores. And what? Yeah. 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 
He also did, did like did sausage they have Filipinos in back then? Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, I thought it was all Hawaiian. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> like we are literally no. Like our last name, my cousins now there. I have cousins and uncles. Oh. And so my uncle, which is my dad's brother, so he was a stevedore, and that was. So after two years, my dad came over after mm-hmm. my, my grandfather was here for mm-hmm. two years working on his own. And let's give some context for what stevedores is, though. What is that? So stevedores are, I mean, it's well known in Hawaii that they're like a very a great paying blue collar job, right? Like they're they're the very critical pieces of all of our imports. So they facilitate, they they're basically our facilitators of bringing on anything that we need on the island. They're super critical for us. Like, got it. Um, yeah. Especially, yeah. On the island. So then we got to like the, hang off Pacific the ship, Ocean. right? Like, and they bring off those huge crates and they, uh-huh. they deal with literally everything that we need on in Hawaii. Yeah. Probably the best paying union job you can get with the lowest level of, of education you could ever have. In um, turn, yes. I'm not invalidating the system because they're actually, everyone I know, exceptional humans and they're very intelligent. So like, I think, frankly, their craft is like, oh, it's very yeah. but it's also downplayed because like everyone thinks it's so cush, yeah. no, no, but no, no, it no, is no, no. no joke. Yeah, my uncle like literally fell 40 feet and broke every bone in his body. And it was like, that's part of, they're like, that's part of the job. And I'm like, oh my God. I mean, it was bound it's to happen so because that's how they go. He survived, every day. by the way. <laughs> like this big story, but, oh. but he did survive. But they are, they were still like extreme. They are very hardworking. That was one thing though that like my uncles to this day have, my cousins to this day have. Like they're very like we have a couple entrepreneurs in our family. Like my cousin runs his family business and their refrigeration business, and they go and they service like all of the ice machines on the island. Mm. And my cousin does it with a big smile, loves what he does, and he's like friends with everybody. <laughs> and people follow him <laughs> on Instagram. And he's, you know, like we've been taught to work hard. We've been taught to like whether it be my cousins or myself, we've been taught to also be better, <laughs> right? Than other like we're like proud of our last name we work really hard to make people who know our last name proud because i am related to literally every Casamina on the island like every single one of them yeah okay wow i can tell you that like my sister's also married like i was married and none of us changed our last name like we're adamant about it we like love our Mm. last name we take pride Mm. in our last name yeah my dad like loves it he like eats that up and and i love your dad yeah he's pretty awesome (laughs) This is great, great context about how your family sacrificed and how, you know, you're kind of carrying on that tradition and everything. I want to kind of go back and talk about like kind of your, your dad's saying about like, if they're in Kalihi, we still feed them or something like that. Yeah. That, that kind of philosophy and that mindset and the fact that you guys, the house of finance, your family's company is Oahu's number one producer of USDA loans. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what is a USDA loan and why that is important and why that is helping kind of like more of the lower income communities? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tackle that in like in two parts. So first from a technical aspect, the USDA rural housing development loan was designed to, it's a zero down payment loan program in specific geographic areas that are considered rural Many of those areas are like Eva Beach, Makakilo, Kapolei. I doubt that people would actually consider that rural in a, a normal conversation on Oahu. However, mm-hmm. it is 
And it's designed as a government loan that allows for people without the down payment who are looking for homeownership or the American dream or how, you know, it is a government program that allows for those without the down payment accessibility to buy. And so we early on, that was, in my opinion, it's one of the best products for a lot of, of Hawaii families. The biggest challenge is being able to really navigate it and explain it. So many lenders actually stayed away from doing this type of loan because the documentation is twofold. It's a lot more documentation. There's a there's a double layer of approval process. You got to get approved by the bank and USDA. There's additional types of verifications that have to be done, and it's a lot of work. But ultimately, and my, and my dad will tell you this, is that it's also the biggest benefit to those who, like a lot of families we work with, a big example is that they're like three housekeepers where they have husband and wives who are all married. They are first generation from the Philippines and their only dream is to own. And they don't Mm. care if they have to share a three bedroom, two bathroom house with their six other siblings and their parents who still live with them. And they're all willing to contribute to one house as long as that one house is their own. And for me to ask them to bring in even 3% is a big ask. You know, the prices in Hawaii are very high for cost of living, for milk, for diapers, for whatever. And so even if I were to ask them for 3%, it's a huge challenge. A bigger challenge is that some of them have only been in America for a year and a half. They won't have the credits where you need for minimum down payment. So this particular loan allows for and accounts for a lot of that and has allowed for a lot of the families that I've worked with that are first generation to America that were immigrants from the Philippines are able to actually own single family homes, own land while still working blue collar jobs. Mm. And that's been a real big game changer for a lot of them that, you know, it's a big response from them. I've had many, many, many families just break down in complete tears thinking it was never possible. I have one family, he had worked at Foodland for 15 years and he never thought it was possible. His daughter passed her RN license and between the two of them, they bought their first house. Mm. And I will remember this man to the, like, until the day I die because he cried so hard because he just thought, I never thought all my hard work would ever make it possible. And it he took a picture of his front yard for me because he wanted to show me the soil that I helped him get. And those are wow. the moments that you realize like how connected we all are. Like that's the moment where like I see my own dad who like grew up on a farm that you know, to this day, every single Saturday, he's out in the yard playing with dirt because he's like, I'm a farm boy, no matter what. And Mm. those are the moments and the clients that you work with and and the opportunities you give them that you just feel so much more connected because, you know, I think to answer the second part of that question is a big challenge with a lot of Filipino immigrants is, is there's an element of not having any financial education. Mm. There is emotional here. It's a big project. It's a really big project that my dad takes very personally and he's raised, he's raised us to, yeah, he really is adamant about it. And so half the battle is just giving them the comfort of feeling safe enough to go through this because to them, it's like such an American dream. They're like, I'm just here in America. That's all I care about to even think about owning. That's not possible. Clarice. I couldn't like there. How can I even do that? And to show them that, like, the first thing is, 
really making them feel comfortable in this very difficult world to navigate, right? Real estate in Hawaii is extremely competitive. And and I was fortunate enough that my mom spoke to me in her dialect. So I speak Tagalog. I understand it fluently. And my Tagalog back is like conversational Tagalog, I would say. Like, don't mm-hmm. interview me in Tagalog by any means. Okay. But, but it gives them a sense of comfort that they're not alone, that this is not going to be as daunting as it may have initially seemed. And that's really, really important to me because... I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for my dad taking the chance to like learn English. Like he read Shakespeare in high school. That's how he learned English. He was 14. He came to America, went to Farrington High School. He learned English by reading Shakespeare, right? Like, and he learned English by getting a job during high school. He was a busboy at Fort DeRussi, which no longer exists, but military officer, right? Like it's dining for military officers. And he learned how to communicate just by basic requests or, you know, as a busboy, and he still reflects on that. And when I hear my dad's stories about that, and when you work with these clients who are so uncomfortable because they don't know how to explain very complicated paperwork in front of them, just to be able to ask them a question in their native language, it's almost like their shoulders just like, oh, like I've had them tell me they're like, why didn't you yeah. tell me you spoke to God? I've like, seen it. They're like, <laughs> I was it. so uncomfortable speaking English. And that's the first battle, right? The discomfort, right. like pulling that out, it to me is the biggest battle. And then everything is logistical from there. Right. And so I think coupling those two has been a big project of my dad's. And I'm personally very passionate about it because we found a lot of, su- of, a lot of success in these areas to get some of these families their first home. But that's the long and the short of that. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of follow up on that, like, you know, homeownership in Hawaii is getting more and more elusive, right? It's like, it's so hard to get into a place. It's so high, it's high price points, ever increasing. What are the kind of strategies? We don't have to go into too much detail, but like, like how does like somebody actually get a USDA loan? And they are very challenging, but I will say that like, we actually set up an entire team for just USDA. Like our teams know exactly the process from start to finish to hopefully make it a little easier for our clients. But a lot of that, if I'm being honest with you, is just some of the earlier homework. It's just inquiring to see if that's even a possibility for you. And we'll tell mm. you very quickly whether or not it is. But our staff, my staff is trained and because we want to make it an available product for our clients. Mm-hmm. We created processes around that to make it more accessible to them. So because mm-hmm. there, there is a and USDA as an organization, has they, they actually come and visit us because they, they know we've had a lot of success with the product. They come and visit us and they ask us for their feedback. They're, you know, they want to know how can we make it better as a program? What, where are you finding success? How can we actually reach out to more families to use the program? And it's this, it's been more of, to be very honest, a blend of the economy that we're in, the market that we're in. You, you know this better than anyone else, Derek, that dictates. And it's, it's unfortunate because there have been some, I think back when USDA loans started, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of figuring out and there was a lot of, I think there's some history to that where there was some, you know, difficulties and challenges at the jump that then unfortunately to this day still resonate with some agents that, you know, Mm -hmm. they have this sentiment of what a USDA loan is like. 
And that's a big challenge. And we've shared that with USDA. But at the end of the day, the question really has to become then, if not this, then what? I don't find mm-hmm. any other, uh, there's not, there hasn't been any other effort to provide that aside from me having to ask them, do you have 20% down, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's also not going to happen. So yeah. I think there's a lot of conversation that we are still having with them to figure out those logistics, but it's such a crucial product to then be able to, and mind you, it can be a stepping stone property, a starting property, mm-hmm. but Aside from asking them to cough up 20% down on an average $1 million price, which I would argue is very difficult for the average family that's trying to build their wealth here in Hawaii, let alone in America, um, is a tougher ask. And so I'm a huge fan of it. We've used it as a tool to hopefully grow wealth for a lot of immigrants from the Philippines. And we're very proud of that work that we've done. So And that the work our Filipino families as a whole, again, is a reflection of my dad always felt like, and as you can see, my parents are really big influencers in everything that I do on a daily basis. I grew up with him bringing me to these fundraising events because he was trying to start the first Filipino community center. And mm. so my dad was able to build, he has the, uh, the Philcom center in Waipahu is the largest Filipino community center in Hawaii. Your dad built that? Yeah. He's the emeritus president. Yeah. The emeritus. Yeah. Yes. So yes. emeritus. Emeritus. Yeah. So he yes. built Philcom? Yes. My dad is the, yeah, the founding president along with my uncle, Eddie Flores. LNL. Wait, what? Shout out to LNL. <laughs> yeah. so that means Thomas Lee and you were close then. I went to high school. With right. Yeah. But yes. Thomas, okay. So yes. let's not. Really <laughs> well, do... that's yeah, that's Wow. Well, so here's a story I know about our dad, Cliff. Okay, go for it. I always think of this. I think of two stories when I think of my family. First is, I'll tell a funny story. Her mother. Oh, who, bless her soul. Yeah. Oh, she's always goodness. got an opinion. My mom is the best. <laughs> She just comes up to me and she goes, you want to tell the story? She basically says, take your time. <laughs> she, yes, yes. She's always telling me to just slow down a little bit, you know, and it tends to deal with, you know, personal relationships. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's mom. Dad. She is... didn't approve of any woman until he married a Filipina. Oh, he loved Juliet. And that was, loved that's the story. That's the story. Got it. Oh, Juliet. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, dad, I just remember the first story I ever, you ever told me about him was he would literally be so hungry. He would make tea with leaves. He would find like by the river. Right? Yeah. It sounds like my dad. Yeah. yeah like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So my dad is, he actually, it's funnier. It's funny to me because he looks back on being born on a farm with no technology, no running water, no plumbing, no nothing. And he looks back so fondly though on those times. And mm. I think that's like definitely part of his character that he's he's genuinely a positive person because in his opinion, he's like, look what we've created. Your mom and I, your grandfather, look what we've created. And we started there and we were still so happy with what we had. And, and he, there's one story that I'll share that he at so he's one of four and my grandmother and my mm. grandfather they were mm. so poor that like food 
right? In the Philippines, they were rice farmers, right? So rice was steadily available. Water, they were able to get drinking water. But ulam in Filipino is like, what What are we to eat with the rice, right? Like, mm. what are we to eat with the rice? Something salty. Right. Anything, right? Salt, because salt, we, they were able to, to create. Yeah. Meat, no way. Apparently, like, they were practically vegetarians because meat is a total luxury. Okay. So my dad always tells this story. And I think about this every single time I see a hard-boiled egg. But my dad and his three siblings, they would fight. My grandmother, there would always be a pot of rice, but my grandmother would fight for, uh, he, she would take a hard boiled egg and she would cut it into four pieces. And the four of them would fight over who got the most yellow, who got the most yolk. The yolk we just throw away as Americans. And I think about this every time I see a Cobb salad and there's all that like crumble yeah. of like the hard boiled <laughs> egg. And it makes me like, it really like at my heart, I'm like, I wonder how many of those hard boiled eggs there are on that salad because I'm like, that could feed so many, uh, like, and every single time, it's actually a story that we share with my dad's and my mom's like grandkids. Cause we're like, if they don't finish food or, you know, my daughter, particularly, she actually really doesn't like egg. And we'll be like, you know, when Papa blah, blah, blah. And we'll tell her the story. And it's oh, funny. They don't give two oh, shits. Yeah, no. but they, <laughs> they do care less, but they do because <laughs> we're like, let me just frame this for you. Right. Kiddo. Like, and that's where, like me and my sisters, that was, you know, my and my brother. When we look at it, we look at it and we're like, "Gosh, we could not have been raised in another, in, like another world." But the follow-up question we would ask my grandfather, right, mm. is we would mm. or we would ask my dad about my grandfather. Is like mm. we we're like, "Wait, there were six of you. What? Mm-hmm. There were six <laughs> of you. If there, if you guys cut the egg yolk in four, did Mama and Papa cut it in half? Another one in half? Oh, we all and saw Planet Earth. They're like, no. They they boiled cabbage <laughs> and shared boiled cabbage. Oh, and yeah. I think about this because, and this might make me cry, but my grandfather, it's, and maybe it's a little funnier, but growing up, my grandfather never ate rice after that because when he was once in America, if you had a prime rib in front of like him, he wouldn't even take rice because he's like, I've had enough of that for my lifetime. Oh, and wow. so all of the grandkids would put any leftover meat on his plate. He would sit next to the trash can, by the way, true story. And as the kids were bringing their plates, right, to throw away their plates, he would uh-huh. stop them and anything but the bone. He'd eat the cartilage, not the cartilage. Like, I know how to eat a chicken wing because of my grandfather. But he would never have rice or cabbage on his plate. What does the chicken wing do to your French manicure, though? Listen, you got to <laughs> do what you got to do, man. Okay, yeah. more wine? Awesome. More wine? No? Okay. okay. Let's, um, those are, those are really great stories and it really shapes obviously who you are and kind of like the abundant mindset that you have and your family has. And maybe kind of following up is like, you know, and Derek kind of touched on, on this on like the philanthropy and giving back. And you do that through the service of, you know, helping families get into homes through loans, but how else are you guys giving back and how, how, how are you specifically giving back? So I think we'll always be tied to the Filipino Community Center. That's been a huge accomplishment of my dad's. Mm-hmm. It was his passion project. If he, he'll actually, he calls it one of his like biggest accomplishments in life. And that largely had, you know, that was a, a fundamental, for him, it was so fundamental because it was his teachings of how important the community is. Can you unbox it a little for everyone? Sure. Like what the Philcom really is? And let's sure. not use like, 
you know, like any abbreviations. Okay. So but let's talk yeah, about sure. the Filipino Community Center sure. and let's talk about what that is. Sure. Mm. So the Filipino Community Center was built and it's smack dab in the middle of Waipahu. Couldn't be more central. <laughs> I could not. So it's 30 seconds from Golden Coin. It really is. It really is. And about not two even. minutes from like, Thelma's. Yeah, that's true. true. <laughs> and for um, everybody who's not in Hawaii, Waipahu is the episode. You'll figure it out. Waipahu is Filipino yeah. town. Yeah. It's two minutes from Thelma's. Yes. Yeah. So that's, it's very central as far as location is concerned for a lot of Filipino families. And it was designed, right, to support the Filipino community with whether it's a minorities rec events. Center. Yes, yes. It's a minorities boys Ball, and girls. Yeah, there's ballrooms for events. There's spaces for lease. Yes. It's a place for gathering. It's a place for reflection. It's a place that provides other types of services in, in terms of the people who lease from us. And it's, it's really been a... I would say a community, it was the community, like while my dad founded it, you know, he worked very closely with my uncle Eddie, while they were the founders, it really came from the heart of the Filipino community, the donations, the hard work to this day, there are beautification projects. Like just last week, there are beautification Mm -hmm. projects where they will go and they will hand scrub the walls. Like they will hand scrub the doors because it's so important culturally, right, to remember like just how important that particular center is for our community. And I think that will always resonate with me. I will always strive to give back to the Filipino community just because it's ingrained in me. And I, I truly believe that the American dream is hard enough as it is, let alone, you know, and culturally, I think for Filipinos, it's been even harder and whatever tools, tips and tricks, whatever stepping stool I can provide, I absolutely will. But another element that I've learned along the way in lending to a lot of these families is that there's so little education for financial decisions that can have such a huge repercussion. Mm. And mm. for a lot of these immigrants, like I can't tell you how many times I've heard like, oh, we have to pay these loans back. Yeah, Like it's such a... It's an innocent question, but mm. the way they ask is genuine. Like, no, 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 it came in the mail, right? Like it came in the mail that that I can get this $10,000 and I can get it tomorrow. It's right? the same reason <laughs> that like Anthony Provenzano was saying, you didn't hear this, Clarice, but he was saying, well, you can get a $100,000 student loan, but yeah. you can't get a $100,000 business loan. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I think... There's a lot of cultural implications to this as far as the American culture, right? Like I get a lot of people who are like, oh my gosh, Clarice, I don't think I can withdraw my $20,000 that I have invested in my retirement account. I just think that's very scary. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. you have 30,000 in credit card debt. That's 18% or let's say even 15% APR. Mm-hmm. I'm like, culturally, you've been taught that that's mm-hmm. okay. You've been taught that it's okay to have that thirty thousand in credit card debt at, at with with very little repercussions in your head, while you're scared then to take out the same amount of money at a significantly lower return. Let's pause there. It is very very audacious to make such real uh, statements because the confines we're in in our industries. Mm-hmm dictate you shouldn't give such good advice right so there's a book called evil genius mm. okay it was brought to my attention by a guy named roger epstein who was very close with a guy named jared jampolsky who knew oprah but the point is there's a book called evil genius and it really describes what the philcom center fights against 
like there is an unknown like element of control over the general populace that they're unaware of. Fair. Yeah. And that unawareness puts them in a trap where they end up generationally being behind. 110%. I feel the Philcom is one of those, like, it's almost like a Mecca where mm. you can go and you could probably show up there with any question you have in life. That's the goal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I really feel, cause you go Cliff, you see this place, you walk in, it feels very like, where is this? And, but you feel comfortable. You feel like you're entering to a courtyard at 300. You know that show mm-hmm. where he's wrestling with his son and it's just a beautiful little courtyard. You're just going to figure out what it's for. Yeah. That's the Philcom Center, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. Yes. And you have a beautiful courtyard. Yeah. And there's art and there's culture and there's there's curiosity. And there's there's not this sense of like, we're coming in behind the game. We're coming in unknowing and you're going to steamroll us with what you think you know. You can come in there and you can be vulnerable. I would hope that that would be the goal. Yes, that is the goal. And I think most of the time people want to learn. And I think the bigger challenge that I have is, and maybe it's because I don't sell credit cards or I don't sell personal loans. And and maybe that's why I can freely speak about this, but that's truly been a lot of the crutch of what has made or break some of the American dream for some of these families. I can't tell you how many of these individuals signed up for these like installment loans all you need is a 640 credit score and like maybe a part-time job and they'll give you a ten thousand dollar personal loan at 18 percent and that person will be paying it back for the next 10 years they cannot recoup mm. and, it, and 18s you can recoup and it becomes just such a weight on anything that they want to progress on and it's perfect description it's been it's actually something that and when I see it, it really, it's so, it's heartbreaking because you don't know what you don't know, right? And it fucking pisses me off. Yeah, it's, t- it's Just say your truth. It is. It pisses it is. me it's off. It's a struggle. Because they don't know. They don't know. They genuinely yes. don't know. Uh-huh. But if you were to tell the creditor that, they're like, no, no, no. Let me show you their signature to show you that they knew exactly what they were signing up for. Oh, I'm like, and my response to that is always like, because that's their cover by their butt, right? 100%. So while I understand that, mm. I think I get very emotional. I'm very impassioned about it because if I could only reach out to even one more immigrant no. or even share what I do know about, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, if it, it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? And, you know, with the American dream, it's very easy, right? Why would they believe what I say versus what that person says on the credit card line or that? And it mm-hmm. becomes this, uh, culturally speaking, right? Like the American culture standardizes these types of products, right? It, those are types of products that are not daunting because they're so easily accessible. But that's also because behind the scenes, you are being charged an arm and a leg for that accessibility. And it becomes this crutch for them moving forward in their life. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that when they are finally like three or four years into their job are now looking to buy. And that becomes the one thing that holds them back. Dude, And that is oh. a painful conversation because you knew it's sad. It's like $20,000 that holds you back from buying the $800,000 house. Right. And it sounds silly, but if I asked you for $20,000 to pay it off today, you don't have it. And then Clarice, to your point, Cliff, like what happens, Cliff? It closes their window. Yes. Their generational window. Yes. Cliff didn't grow up with money, you know, even though he went to Ulani. His mother. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate to uh, get a full scholarship to go to high school there. So 
I was very lucky. Grew up in Chinatown. That's amazing. Yeah. That's- but to your point, in terms of the um, the situations that a lot of the families that you're talking to, I think the thought came into my mind, like in college, you know, they feed all these like college students, hey, sign up for this credit card. Kids don't know what credit cards are and how to use them and like what the repercussions are if you only pay the minimum balance or don't pay at all. And so that debt can just be a continuous, ever-increasing weight and burden, right? Along with student debt. It is, right? It is, yeah. Not can be, it is. Can I share my X's and O's? Is that the word? No, zeros and ones. (laughs) X's and O's. (laughs) That's a long story. Sure. But can I share the zeros and ones for math for me for college? Yeah. Like, so I went up, I went to Boulder, right? I was basically following some friends that went up to Boulder and it was 30k a year my father said he would pay then after year one he said he would not and i was going to go into law so how could i take three more years 90k let's call it 100 and then go to law school i said no i am not going to work the first 10 years of my life to pay off these loans so i came back here on my own accord then luckily got a scholarship here right and luckily came out with you know, nothing but a degree that didn't matter and no student debt, luckily. So yeah. from what you shared though, Derek, like I wish that logic that you had, right? Like that thought process that you had to evaluate what your options were going to be for the next three years. Like if you were to add it all up, statistically speaking, a lot of kids that actually decide to go to college, like if you walked into any fifth grade class and you ask them to raise their hand on how many of you think you're going to go to college? of them, I would argue, would raise their hands. Mm -hmm. And I would follow that up with, if you followed that same class to their senior year and you asked all of them to raise their hands, I would say it would maybe dwindle to about 70%. Mm -hmm. But I would also then say, if you asked them if they had any idea what the financial implications are for it, not one (laughs) of them would know how to answer you. This actually, Mm -hmm. when I, coming out of college, I was actually in, I went and did a lot of like business consulting for marketing. So I was a marketing major, worked with a lot of businesses. And because I was in DC, I worked for a lot of contracts. So it was contract specialists, government contractors who were, it's like kind of boring stuff, right? RFPs, how to get the government's money. What's an RFP? So an RFP is a request for a proposal. So it's a lot of big corporations like that target government money. They spend a a ton of money. They spend a ton of money, right? Trying to market themselves to be the perfect alignment between them and yeah, yeah. Being them, (laughs) the perfect alignment between you're having a a wine still. (laughs) And I'm wearing a fully white oh, oh my shoot. gosh how expensive okay this let's keep going let's keep going no let's take care of that please okay no, no, all right it's, let me it's take. actually it's a lost cause it's, it's okay you know, on my, it's oh my it's done the Sorry. damage is done like, sure oh, recover sure. her dad made they're 40 pants her well, dad we'll didn't have running water yeah my let's dad did not have running water so if it doesn't bother you it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me so i spent my first few years like basically learning consultative sales, new development. I was, they really pushed me into basically what ended up being sales. So, and they called it consultative sales, right? Like this is where you learn the problems and you proactively set yourself up as a solution. So that was really like, I had a lot of success in that. I worked with a lot of really fantastic people. And then I went into technology sales. So I went into software sales and I specifically went into software sales in education 
And so I sold a product that's called Navient. And I think some of the high schoolers still use it to this day. It's a popular product for college preparation. So it's college Mm -hmm. prep, college, and it's really post-secondary preparation. It also is a privatized loan company. Is Isn't it? it? No, not no, no. That's Navient. This is Navient. Oh, there's a yeah. Difference. There's there's a difference. Close enough. <laughs> so, so the product itself, yeah. There's a lot of navigation. The word navigation they use in the education mm. uh, community. Mm. Now, like you know, to navigate the kids. But sure. the product itself was really revolutionary, and the product itself really. And I found myself just really because I was working with so many principals and school districts. And my school districts were like in Texas. My territories were like Texas, Colorado. And they gave me Hawaii because they were like, well, Mm. so they they gave me a lot of, and the progress I found was twofold. Conservative, liberal, and Hawaii. Yeah, they were like, yeah, I'm just going to. And I worked with working with these huge Texas school districts. They have so much money, right? They have so much money. Public school too. And public, public school Like fully funded. Fully funded public school. Looks like Iolani. Bigger by yeah. times four. Like, yeah. Huge. Sports, imagine, athletics, everything. Imagine Friday night lights. Like, that's, those are the schools that I'm Public schools. 110%. So, the big takeaway I got from it, right? Because they had this spend just because of the sheer student number that they had, they right? Like these, these graduating classes were like upwards of two to 3,000 students yeah. per class, right? So, so huge schools. And the big takeaway I had from it was that the post, right, your secondary type of learning, it should be catered to each student. But that statistically, if with 2000 students, how many counselors can you really have to truly give that catered approach to counseling a child on what would be best for them after graduation? I learned so much from the limitations in some of the more rural schools. Mm. I remember like calling like Lihue, like Kauai, I remember calling, they have sheer numbers, but imagine their counselor was also like a PE teacher who was also the cafeteria person, Mm. right? Like they all wore multiple hats, hats. And I just remember thinking like, if these kids don't have the solution, like what are the counselors currently providing? And I remember this very, very, very distinctive. There was a very distinctive thing that still holds to me today is Mm. that one part of this software was that like you could answer questions about yourself Derek, and it would say that you're you know this age you're male versus female you're interested in this you're ethnically that you know your gpa is this and you would as you answer the questions it would take all of these scholarships available and it would just it will you know dwindle down to the ones that only apply to you and from that list then you could apply to that and i remember very distinctively because a lot of the feedback was that at the time, a lot of these counselors, they just don't have enough time on their hands that they would have like maybe three local community scholarships that the kids would all apply to the same mm. thing. And it would be, would it be shocking to you, Cliff, if I told you that, do you know that hundreds of millions of dollars of scholarships go unawarded every year? Is it like conservation where if they don't use it, nope. they lose it? Uh, no, it's the fact that not enough kids know about these scholarships to even apply. Yeah. Tell me that's not crazy. The question isn't that the money isn't there. Bananas. No, I'm bananas. telling you. When I learned that, I was like. It's bananas. Right? Like, those are tiny little things, right? That this particular company. Accessibility is, issue, right? Why don't we make a business? There is. That's the software I saw. But I will tell you that. I didn't use I, that, though, back then. I really like that part of me was like. 
I could help the world if I gave them a little bit of knowledge, right? Like that really planted that seed in me. And I, once I started working with some of these families, the first question I had was, how do I communicate the knowledge that I know about these products, credit cards at 15% plus? Yeah, okay, you get a signing bonus and maybe a free ticket somewhere. Okay, great. Mm. But what, how do I quantify that to them on a daily basis of a dollar amount of how many hours they would actually have to work to pay for that same ticket versus mm. how much they'd spend in interest paying off that same balance just mm. for signing up? Mm. How do I communicate that? And so it like I've always been really impassioned about this. And I've over the last five or six years have been trying to find an outlet to really communicate at, a, at the younger level, right? Like whether it be the immigrants as soon as they get here yeah. or middle school to high schoolers. Uh-huh. So I did join um, Women Speaking Out in 20, 2020, I guess. So last year I did. What's that? I did I'm join. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm going to remove him because he's our great supporter from, <sighs> from the home space. But I'm truly impassioned with knowledge at a younger level whatever it's about okay whether whether you feel it's about knowledge at a younger level about finance or uh, you know even business plans or restaurants or just about independent thinking anything anything right and so I joined Women Speaking Out and it happens to be, you know, this amazing nonprofit organization that is truly like prevented. It's educating and empowering younger women so that they can ultimately avoid domestic violence, but that they can also be educated on it to know the signs, even in the event. It's, it's all about prevention. It's all about mm-hmm. prevention. And the root of it, however, is about earlier education on subjects that young women feel that they need. Right. So how to interview, what to wear to an interview, what to speak Mm. about in an interview. These are things that currently there's a need for the, you know, it's not provided at a public school level. Mm. And I would argue maybe not even at a private school level. It's not in varying forms. And it may be, listen, if there's any other groups out there that are doing this very well, forgive me. However, for the most part, there's a big need. Or step up. Call us. There, yeah. (laughs) And I don't see it. There's a big need. There's a big need. The students have voiced this need and we're trying to figure out a way how to make it accessible uh, to these students that have basically said, I don't know how to do that. I'd love to know how to do that Mm. and not have to give them a $20,000 bill for it. Mm. That is the goal that I'm trying to figure out. How can I reach out at a younger level to set Mm. you up for success when you're ready, maybe at 25 to buy your first home, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And forget whether you use me as your loan officer, but you probably will. But mm-hmm. how do you set that and reach out to them where it's it will make a fundamental change, right? If I had called that person or, or shown that person that information of what that $20,000 personal loan would have done for them five years later, would they have done it? I'm not sure. However, at least they would have had the education to know or decide whether or not that was right for them. Mm. And I don't, again, I know that we can't solve world hunger overnight, but how can I at least feed 10? I think it's always, that's always a driving motivator for me. Mm. So I'm a huge proponent in what we're doing with WSO. We are, you know, creating summits, educational summits to provide not what they're providing in public school or private school Mm -hmm. or high school curriculum, but what are things that you guys feel the need that you need help with? And then how can we as business leaders, community leaders, individuals involved in the community, how can we help? Like that's that's the question. So, and I don't know the answer, Cliff. 
I think, you know, with your work with WSO empowering young women, not only through like, you know, awareness and prevention of dating violence, but, you know, I think it goes broader than that. Just being empowered to be more independent and in control, like through financial literacy or through things like that. I think not only for women, for young girls, it's all for young boys too. Like there is just such a huge need for just like financial literacy and just understanding of just basic concepts of like how to take control of your finances. I just read Robert Kiyosaki's Viz Rich Dad Poor Dad about how to be a better parent for your kids and kind of a better mindset. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we need more of this in the public school system, in the private school system, not only in Hawaii, but all over the world or in the United States. There just needs to be a better focus so that people have a better head start, you know, in their lives. Because not everybody has the foresight, like, you know, Derek to drop everything, leave the party life in Boulder yeah. and say, yeah. you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into a life of debt or a law school dream on the mainland, buckle down and finish up at UH, right? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I would call it embarrassing. You get to think about it. You get to really think about what that looked like for me. It was really a choice of pride or not. Mm. You know, it was like, I can beat anyone in the class, probably except for Jason Yee at chess. And I learned a year ago, but I can't pass the test. And then I get to UH and I have to get some sort of fake degree just so I can move on. Mm. And I just had to find the cleanest way to do it without carrying debt. And that was hard. Mm. How can it be that hard when I can figure out how to make 50K a year when I'm 19? But I can't figure out how to pay this stupid loan that I can't even buy the books for, right? You're, it's almost like you're indoctrinated in this system. And I think at some point, we also have to talk about the fact that Clarice and I, in conjunction, work towards like allowing people that live in that middle class region to keep up with, if that's the right word, the way that society drives the progression. of, yes. If you're not in the market, stock or housing, you will get lost. Mm. I don't care if you make a million a year. Mm. I still think you will lose traction in society because you just can't keep up with where the devaluation of the dollar heads and where or how they use their money. And I think there's a very big cultural aspect to it, right? Like, and I mean this not even whether it be from Hawaii or otherwise, but I think there's generally, and I was just talking to my, like my best friend from LA, she's a nurse practitioner. And we were just talking because we're like, okay, right. You go to middle school to go to high school. You go to high school to go to college, you go to college to get a job, you get a job, you buy a house, you get married and all this stuff. Right. And someone very recently asked me, they're like, well, Clarice, what do you want to do 10 years from now? And I'm like, I just figured my life out, right? And culturally, there's always this push of, Mm. did you get it figured out? Did you check this box off this list, right? And that pressure, I think, and maybe that's a sales tactic within some of these products that are sold within this, right? Whether they be student loans, personal loans, albeit mortgages, But maybe that's part of us culturally is that we're saying that in order to get this dream that has been preconceived for you and indoctrinated in what you should be doing, right? These are the steps that you need to take to there. (laughs) I think about that often because I think to myself, right? How do you intervene in Let me bring us back into center. Listen. Cliff, give me a second. Let's keep the focus on Clarice though. Let's get focused. This is a podcast about Clarice. 
Before we go towards Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> okay, fine, no, I, <laughs> and the general populace of like how evil genius dictates how people think and everything else, let's get back to you. Sure. Yes. Thank you. You're a mom. I am. You're an ex-married person. Like yes. Me. Like, what does it look like to feel, because I, I can tell you what I go through every week, mm-hmm. which is, did this week end up okay? You know, because where my life has headed in seven years is very different. And so I think very much in the moment, like, how do you live for Brooke? So, you know, I think so. It's no news to everyone, right? Like I'm a I'm a single mom. I'm divorced, but I have a very amicable relationship with my ex-husband. He's an amazing guy. And yeah, we support each other from Ray. Love you. uh, from different different angles now and I think and part of that you know we've got married young and Brooklyn is the biggest blessing he's ever given me and she is the biggest accomplishment in my life period mm-hmm. you'll ask me that 50 years from now it'll still be the same answer and I think there is a constant and maybe it's a Hawaii thing I'm not sure if you guys have this in California but you know it's a constant emotional battle for me of trying to be a quote unquote successful woman that's also divorced, right? It's almost like a contradictory statement. And I don't find that to be the case for myself personally. I know within myself and how I feel about myself as a woman, as a divorce, whatever the case may be, I know that I'm going to do everything that I do on a daily basis is for her. Mm. And I always think about the families that we help I know will be better in society and it will create a better family in society mm. that will be a society that I'll want to have a child in, right? Yeah. Like have my daughter grow up in. And I used to struggle with this before because I remember like, I remember graduating from college and thinking like, I don't know if I want to bring a kid into this world. This mm-hmm. world's really mm-hmm. crazy. This world's really mean. This yeah. world's unforgiving. It's this shitty. world is really tough to be successful. And then I remember thinking, do I want to bring someone into this involuntarily, right? It's not her choice to be here. And then I realized that it became my responsibility to create a world around her to the best of my absolute ability that would allow for her to grow as an individual and then contribute back to society. So she's in Punahou now. Two more months. And right. She starts kindergarten. Yes. But I'm intrigued to know what did you first think when you got the news? Because I'm sure it was elation, but there's a small part of me that's like, I hope she doesn't get sucked into what we saw. Oh, that was actually my, well, my first feedback was like, why I'm going to have to eat like my spit for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was like, first page is like, congratulations. The second page is right. like, here's your bill. Right. And I was uh-huh, like, uh-huh. So I think, you know, that's the first reaction, but. Sorry, and, I was beyond the money part though. Yeah, but it's more so. Yeah. Like, the pressure. Well, yeah. Yeah, the anxiety. Comes, right. Yes. It yes. comes with a lot of, yes. like, keeping up with the Joneses. Yes. And it's funny because my nephew just told me. He, I just buried myself. Well, well, Sorry. No, we know this, right? Yeah. All of us put, like, listen, if you're a Puno grad out there and you're not going to agree to that being our image, well, we know I, this. I'm a wildlife country you. club. My son goes it's to Milani High you. School. You want to know the whole story? Like, there's a lot of judgment that comes with that. The moment I see Milani, they're like, oh, you mean Iolani? No, it's no longer. We can talk about it later. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you really yeah. need me. But like when you look at Punahou, I there, guess there couldn't have been all positive. 
is what I'm saying. I truly, my first instinct and that you brought that up was, do I want to subject my daughter to the same pressures that I was, I truly was put through, right? Fair. And, and I really thought to myself, like, it was almost like as soon as she got in, right. it was like the word spread and there was a list of who did and who didn't and who made, mm. right? And I'm like, they're four years old. And I <laughs> what do you know about a four-year-old? Though, right. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And frankly, I actually asked the admissions officer this. So like, do you have any questions? I'm like, yes. How are you going to gauge who my child is or what her credibility is after 20 minutes? Maybe I'm not the popular mom for asking, but that truly was my question, right? Oh, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, it was not, I'm not the most popular <laughs> person, but they acknowledge that that's a challenge, right? And especially in the COVID world. And, and I've shared this with many other parents that my firm belief is that there is a sixth sense that they have about, you know, which ones they might feel are going to be, I think they know to I a degree. That. I, I, do, that. I do believe they know to a degree, which ones so will crack under pressure and which ones won't. And, yeah. and my daughter though, she could not be less like me. I mean, listen, <laughs> I am blessed. I'm truly blessed, but I do believe that like, you know, I think that the universe and the world would not have put her through that if she didn't do it for herself. I really, I fumbled. I okay. confused somewhat. Like she, she truly, my daughter truly, and my job as a parent is to either support that. And this is what someone actually told me. Cause I was really grappling with that. This is what someone told me. They're like, if she doesn't like it after the first year, as a parent, you have the full ability to take her somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's so empowering. That, <laughs> that's true. Because most people that get accepted, it's let's just true. open this shit. It's true. What is this? Congratulations on your induction. Yeah. And we're in some sort of club that you helped me get into. Oh, okay. Sure. Which leads to, so fast forward, Brooke is unhappy year two. Okay. Unlikely. But if she Hypothetical here. Okay. The social pressure that I think (laughs) Punovo Iolani carries, you can't pull the kid out. Absolutely. Let's just fucking call it what it is. Excuse my French. Absolutely. So what do you do? But I would. If she's told you she's unhappy? I absolutely I'll hold you to it. Absolutely. I'll hold you to it. (laughs) I was actually more concerned that I would put her in. Like, right. And that is when somebody actually, somebody actually told me, they said, she accomplished this. Give her the opportunity to figure it out on her own. Wow. But it's true. It's true. A very close friend of mine. Well, c- congratulations <laughs> on Punahou. Well deserved. And congratulations and, to her. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. I mean, no, no, you had plenty to do with it. Give yourself some credit. But uh, I'm, sure she, I'm sure she will do well. Punahou is a great school. Yolani is a great school. We'll leave it at that. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. I will. You know what? Because the opposite of that, though, Derek, is that if she thrives, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that she has that accessible to her because I'm, you know, whatever sacrifices I have to make, it'll happen. I wish I had a Clarice in my life when I was in high school. Uh, I'd be better off, bro. I swear. Listen, I was not book smart like Cliff. Like I was very much like, you know, I can think of so many other examples of individuals who to this day, actually, like we still catch up, right? Like that's a nice part about the network. And I can tell you right now, I was never the book smart person. And I'm not even a fourth of as book smart as my dad or a fourth as street smart as my mom. And yet, you know, you learn how to, at least my parents have taught me, right, is you learn how to take what you do have well 
And I'll never forget this. Someone, so one of the family members of City Mill, so the owners of City, sorry, not City Mill. Oh my God. Benjamin Franklin, one of the owners, he always says, use the very little that you know well and do it frequently. And that's all I can offer you guys today, okay? I don't know much about like the world or whatever. I'm not a big uh, politics person, but I will tell you like, I, I will never forget that. Do the very little that you know well and do it often. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to not let you off the hook there. Okay. So then what is your mastery? Because I can give you an opinion of what I think it is. Put a lot of pressure on you, but mm. what is your mastery then? Because I completely concur. Instead of accentuating people's faults and making them better, no, just celebrate their capacity for what their God-given talents are mm. and move forward with that. You do that in your organization. I don't see you yeah. diminishing people who lack certain capacities of the job description. Mm. You then instead say that's okay and you make them masterful what they're good at. That's true. I think. So what is your mastery? To be honest with you, my mastery is following what I'm passionate about. Which is? In this particular, like in my current place in life is truly, I can say this passionately, is like I am very passionate about bringing the Hawaii homeownership dream to many families. Like that is my true passion. Why? Because I think I genuinely want to make a difference. But why? Because it matters to them. It makes a difference in their life, in their wealth, in their accomplishments. It's very basic to me. It's just who can I throw that out to, I think is the bigger question. That's like, I think about a lot is making that tool accessible to some of these families so that they can achieve what they never thought was possible is a very, it's an addiction almost. I think it's almost poetic. If you can subjugate it to just being a tool, which is really all it is. Yeah, it is. A hundred percent. It's just that books like Evil Genius, which we'll describe, or systems have been put in place where it doesn't feel like a tool. It feels like a commitment to your life when it really isn't. Because if you really understood how loans work and all that, like people wouldn't be so afraid. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of how like middle America and wherever that line in the sand is thereafter, it's controlled by misinterpretation and misunderstanding. That's totally fair. Totally 100% fair. I would agree with that. If no one understands what we're talking about, I have a client who's lived in a house for 14 years and never paid mortgage. I'm not encouraging you as I pour this wine. I'm just saying you don't know what you don't know. That's fair. Yes, 100%. Yes. Yeah. And that's not fair because it's right there in writing but no one tells you how it really is. I will tell you like, okay. So what I think of a Derek cam, like he's the master of words, right? He's like able to give you the most complex concept and drill it down to you in 10 seconds flat where you're like, aha. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And there's an art to that. And I think my role in life, and I really believe this is like being able to do that on a loan level. I see you. Mm -hmm. like I that, totally agree with you. Taking a very like, abrasive usually an abrasive process an mm -hmm. intimidating process a and intimidation by the way is like literally what it, i would equate uh, equate with equate with like cost the more intimidating they are there's more cost to it so i think to take away that intimidation take away the complication of it and drill it down to what it is because it's a tool mm -hmm. for families mm -hmm. to grow wealth mm -hmm. and making that tool accessible 
that's probably not the most popular, right? Like concept of how some of these loans work. If I like another loan officer is watching this, they'll be like, what a crocka. But I truly believe that for myself. I believe mm. that it's about accessibility for families and giving them the tools that and making these tools accessible for their benefit. Because I can tell you right now, like that's my commitment to it. And I think that's, if you really want to talk about anyone's secret sauce, that concept to me is something I'm passionate about and that I'll always be passionate about. And I don't mind if 10 years from now, all I am is a loan officer to some, that's 110% that would fulfill every dream I have. I love my job. I love what I do. I love what I work with. I love the people I work with. I actually look forward to work every single day. That's like not even a lie. And I don't mind it at all. And I know so that. That's amazing. So that's what great. is your mission? My mission? Gosh, he's got some hard ones. Cliff. No, because I just know if I asked dad, he would be able to tell us. Hmm, I would encourage that because he is not the, I don't think he could articulate it, but I think. But I, I think he still would. Though. Yeah. Yeah. That's in his thing. own way. Yes. He he's would. so clear. He's unclear. That's fair. Yeah, if you did know my dad, that's a pretty good, like, that's a pretty good explanation of rolling Casamina. He's, like, clear, but definitely unclear. He's so clear, he's unclear. Yeah. He lives for such a simple intention. This is true. Which is, how can I better people alongside as opposed to stepping over them? Yeah. Oh, 100%. That's dad. 100%. He's so 100%. elegant in his execution of really empowering families. A hundred and ten percent. Because say, he's been there. He's I, been there. Yeah, I would say your good practice keeps the lights on, but what keeps you all in favor with like society and everyone else that thinks things are important is because dad really and you guys have been taught not to get to the next level by stepping on anyone. Never, ever. Only was to raise people. Yes. yes. And that's the thing with your dad. Yeah. Because he always I think my dad always operates from and this is something that my brother does. My brother does this. He's, you know, he's a youth pastor. My brother's an amazing man. He's, yeah, my brother is. Let's talk about it. My brother is awesome. He's yeah. a youth pastor. Actually, I think we're getting close to time right oh, now. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, let's wrap up with a closing let's wrap statement. Up. We got Josh coming. Listen, you've had wine on your clothing. $40 for, fence. For, yeah. So, Cliff, what do you think? <laughs> Should I stop the recording? Uh, no, no, no. Let's okay. have Chris give a little closing statement. Chris. I mean, people are going to be listening to this. Like, maybe you can kind of give your wisdom in terms of like how to achieve one's success. Like, what are what are your kind of your keys for success? That is actually easy for me. So, I'm a firm believer in like in passion and product. And I, I know that sounds silly, but I'm a firm believer in like I cannot back something up if I'm not truly passionately believing in it. Like, I can't just drink the Kool Aid and try to sell it. And I think the quality of what you're selling, because at the end of the day, everybody's selling something, whether it's selling your own services, whether it's selling your own personality, whatever the case may be, there's always a little bit of a of sales in everybody. And I'm a firm, firm believer in both passion and ultimately product, right? Like my dad has always said, like, be true to your word, right? And that's, in my opinion, the passion aspect mm -hmm. and always follow through, right? Part of being mm -hmm. true to your word is the follow through. And I'm a firm believer, not only I could be passionate about this stuff and I could be talking to you guys about finance and loans and mortgages and rates and owner off versus investor. And I could be passionate about it and still not know anything. And I would be doing you a disservice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so part of me backing up my passion is knowing that product fully and thoroughly. 
And so I think those are my driving elements. Whenever I give anyone advice on anything, right, it's can your heart back it up and can your brain pull it through? Can you Mm -hmm. really back up what it is that your heart's trying to do? And the connection of those two is always magic, whatever way, shape and form of it. How poetic. This is truly something I abide by and I live by and I always have, whether it be a position I've done, a job I've done, a industry I've served in. Or consulting you provide. I see what you're saying in action. If it's not aligned, it's not for me. And I think think that's true. That's a great place to end it. Passion, product, heart, brain, um, very aligned. So thank you for your time, Clarice. It's been amazing to speak with you and learn about you and your family and and your mission and all the things you're doing out there in Hawaii. Keep doing it. Keep helping, you know, all those girls out there and all those families. It's just amazing to see all the work you're doing. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Fascinating People. If you enjoyed it, would you mind sharing it with a friend or a family member? And if you haven't already, please give us a rating and your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And that's it for today. We'll see you next time. Aloha and mahalo.